Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 68. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today, as the holiday season reaches a conclusion, we want to give a bit of a retroactive perspective on the holidays in general and consumerism and how the two are, at this point, at least in American culture, intimately related. So, Caroline, I'd like to start with personal experiences. And when you think of consumerism as it relates to the holidays in America, what do you think of and what have you experienced? What immediately comes to mind is at a very basic level, everything is centered around presents, especially in holidays, even Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever holiday you celebrate, it's all around gift giving, which in one respect is quite nice in some ways because it's generating a spirit of generosity and thinking of others. But at the same time, I remember as a child going through these catalogs of toys that we'd receive in the mail when catalogs were still a thing and basically circling everything I wanted and then writing it all down in list form and, you know, making a Christmas list, so to speak, for Santa. Looking back on that, it seems ludicrous because I think this idea of when I was six or seven or even five years old, I wouldn't call it consumerism, but that kind of ingrained notion that comes with this time of year was so ingrained in me that I literally just go through these catalogs and basically write down everything, even if I didn't really want it or need it or anything. And I mean, of course, I would never receive all of that stuff. But just the idea that you make a Christmas list and mine would be like pages and pages and pages long. It's really key, in my opinion, that you bring up the idea that you weren't aware of it as consumerism or wouldn't describe it that way. And I don't think that's necessarily because children don't have the language or words to express it, but because conceptually it doesn't represent a consumer culture to them. It really is the anticipation of possibly getting these things. And in my opinion, one very profound human feeling is that of expectation and anticipation. In a recent episode, we talked about Star Wars with Sam Whipple, and I think the hype leading up to anything that we expect to be great can often be greater than the actual feelings of receiving or enjoying that gift or that experience, both of which I think are separate categories. And as a child, you see the colorful, you see the exciting, the well-lit, the complex machinery of anything, and it excites you on a basic or surface level. So I absolutely understand, and I feel similarly, I reflect on a very positive commercial Christmas experience when the Wii made by Nintendo had recently come out. And I remember in eighth grade watching YouTube videos of reviews of games for the Wii and how excited people were about this motion technology and how novel it all seemed. And I remember fervently asking my father if he would get it or if he would consider getting it. And he heard and listened very carefully. And come Christmas morning, there was not only a Wii, but a bundle of all these accessories for it. And to me, that's a really special aspect about our relationship to consumerism through family and friends, because people that love us often listen to what we want as material objects or items to be purchased and extrapolate and say, okay, they'd like this outfit. Maybe they'd also like accessories to go with this outfit. Or I know that they love this book series. I could get them a signed copy if I work in advance and pay a bit extra. And I think that's where sentimentality comes in. And it isn't just a pure trading and exchange of goods because that seems very cold when you describe it that way. And it's not. I remember waking up that Christmas morning with the biggest smile on my face realizing 
how thoroughly my father had researched and probably pre-ordered in advance because the Wii was a highly anticipated gift. And even for people listening who aren't gamers, there's just an excitement that surrounds a lot of products in our culture. And the marketing, of course, is very carefully done. I, as a child, was very evidently susceptible to that because I was excited for it. But I will say that excitement rode through Christmas morning. I think one aspect of the holidays in consumer culture is that we are so excited to get these gifts and these things that we don't conceive of how short-lived they might be or how unnecessary they might be in our lives. They're mostly superfluous objects for entertainment. Of course, some gifts are more practical for food preparation or for keeping the house clean. Or socks. Exactly. And (laughs) there are practical gifts. And I wonder to what extent those fall into this category, because in the culture we live in, on some level, we do need to buy those things to keep ourselves warm or clothed or fed or in a generally comfortable lifestyle. And of course, that isn't possible for everyone who doesn't have the financial means. So I'd actually like to ask you, how you think consumer culture around the holidays excludes either impoverished people or those who can't afford gifts, and if that makes them feel guilty for something that they shouldn't feel guilty about. Well, it's funny that you bring that up, Kip, because I think the charity efforts that surround the holidays, lots of canned food drives that I was very familiar with at my elementary and high school, as well as lots of coat drives for kids in need, those really spring up around the holidays. And in some ways, I could look at it cynically and be like, don't these people need this year round? And so just around the holidays, do we get this giving spirit? And so then we feel compelled by either, I guess I'm going to keep using the spirit of the holidays or, you know, by religion or by some other means. Are those the real reasons that these practices are so prominent at this time of year? But then at the same time, I mean, I think it is acknowledged that a lot of people are excluded from the ability to really get those that they love everything that they want. So in that way, society is kind of trying to compensate for at least getting them what they need. And in some ways, I will also once more cynically say that this is a way for us to feel good about ourselves and kind of pat ourselves on the back and be like, oh, I've bought four cans of chicken noodle soup and that's going to go to someone who needs them and my job is done and now I can buy a Nintendo Wii and give it to my child and feel really good about that too when those 300 or whatever dollars could have bought maybe 300 more cans of soup. I mean, of course, I've never been in this position too, so I can't really speak to it wholeheartedly. I don't really know what it's like to not be able to give someone something they want for Christmas. So it's hard for me to know what that feels like. And I'm sure with all the media surrounding the holidays and this pressure to consume and to create that idyllic Christmas morning where the child comes down the stairs and they see an ocean of presents. And I feel like that's in every Christmas ad. And I know that there are a lot of lower socioeconomic families who really strive to provide that, like in the months leading up to Christmas, saving more money so that they can actually buy their kids presents. But I understand that that can be extremely challenging and very exclusionary. And I'm glad you point to the quantification of presence because I think that's very important. Personally, looking back, I think one amazing gift, regardless of expense, if it was well thought out or 
special and sentimental to me in some way is better than an ocean, as you say, of potentially meaningless gifts that are simply there for quantity and to provide some visual appeal as though the child is receiving an ocean or a wave of all of these presents. And I also think it's troubling how much a child's significance to a parent can actually imbue the holiday with a sense of guilt because I've actually been on the perpetrating end of being very upset that I didn't get a certain gift. And I look back with such shame at that reaction because I know my parents have countless times tried to get me what I wanted and either advertising culture or my own sense of self-entitlement led me to believe that I didn't want that thing but needed that thing. And that's a very dark aspect of consumer culture and our belief that gifts are what make us happy. And I think it's not just me. I suspect there are other children of various ages, whether they're spoiled or not, that buy into that belief that they need that thing or need to fit in for whatever reason and receive gifts in order to feel love. And as a plea to our audience, I would urge people to avoid conflating love and affection with gifts. There are people who cannot always afford to get you things who love you dearly, and it's a tremendous problem in our culture that we would associate those two things because they aren't the same. They can be related, but I don't think they are identical. It also goes back to what you were saying about anticipation, because for me growing up and for a lot of my peers growing up, Christmas was this highly anticipated, oh, we're going to get all these things we want and it's going to be the best and presents, presents, presents. And then when you don't get what you want, it's immediately disappointing. Like you said, this feeling of, oh, you were entitled to get what you want or wanted. And I think it's very revealing about how pervasive consumerism really is. I mean, we're talking about our childhood experiences. And as we approach Christmas and the other holidays now, my parents have been like, what do you want for Christmas, Caroline? And I can't think of something I want now that I've, I mean, I'm 22. I'm not going to say I'm an adult, but I definitely become more reflective about the times at Christmas when I was distinctly disappointed because I didn't receive something that I wanted. And now I can't really think of anything that I need. And as I was saying to you before we started recording the episode, I feel like partially because I don't watch television on a TV set, I'm not being inundated with advertisements. But I mean, I'm receiving advertisements in other ways through YouTube or through other online streaming services. But I feel like in some ways an anomaly because I'm not contributing like on Black Friday this year. I kind of forgot about it. I literally went to buy something at CVS and I was like, why is everyone, what's going on? Like, why are all these people here? And then I was like, oh, it's Black Friday. So I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I'm just cut off. But I do think I am in the minority. I think so many people are really participating in the consumer's culture. And it's interesting to me that I'm kind of over it. <laughs> in a way. But also, I feel like that's partially because of the education I received and growing up in general. Although I suspect that we are coming at this from a rather one-sided approach, I personally and subjectively respect that you're set apart from the culture and maybe in the minority, but there are tragic stories of Black Friday, for example, one very clear monument or pillar to consumerist culture in this time of year. Definitely in which people are trampled to death and stores are destroyed for TVs and things, again, that aren't... Or waffle makers. Exactly. <laughs> crazy. Non-essentials. And it's so disheartening to see people behave that way. However, 
I recognize that culture is powerful and advertising is very influential and, as you said before, pervasive. And so people buy into, excuse the pun, the belief that they're getting a great deal when, if we're being honest, the stores are controlling that. I grant that in an economic environment, the consumer responds to prices, and if prices are too high, they won't pay, and so prices will go down. However, stores can control their discounts, and I feel like consumers on some subconscious level believe they're getting away with a steal. But of course, these stores would not sell these items if they weren't making some profit, whether now or in the future, and they know exactly what they're doing. Their goal at the end of the day is to make money, and as sad as that is to me, that's how capitalism works, and I understand that. But I want to talk about consumerism and the holidays in terms of gender. Because in my experience, whether it's because I was a boy or just because my interests such as video games were less publicly visible, I would play on the computer, for example, so my friends might not even know if I had gotten a new computer game, whereas in my mind, the stereotypical girl, and I'm not saying all girls, but the advertised girl, the girl promoted in consumerism, needs a new coat and other new things that can be worn about and shown, and I want to know to what extent that influenced your experience with consumer culture as a younger girl or as a child in general. It's funny that you say that because I think there are so many fashion trends and fads that have come in and out of style throughout my childhood and into adolescence. And especially in high school, when I became a little more aware of these different fads, on one end, I mean, I never had a North Face and I never had Uggs, but I definitely wanted Converse. I definitely, like when Chuck Taylors came back in style, I was like, oh yeah. Like I, and it was funny because my parents did get me some high top Chucks and my dad laughed and was like, oh, I used to play basketball in these. And now they're like the cool hipster shoes that... <laughs> cool girls like to wear and boys of course but I think you're right in a way that a lot of the gifts that I received especially as I've grown older have been either accessories I feel like my family loves giving me scarves even though I very rarely wear scarves or hats or just items of clothing whereas other members of my family who are my male cousins are much more likely to receive a new basketball or something that's much more associated with what they do. So like a watch or a new pair of basketball shoes because they play basketball and or my cousin who researches birds. I think since he started researching birds, the only thing he receives is like bird books. And to some degree, it sounds like, and this is a feeling I have as well, the gifts we receive reinforce either gender stereotypes or the work we do or our roles in society. As a student, you might be more likely to get books and gifts that encourage you to behave a certain way. And gifts in many ways encourage behavior because you'd feel guilty if you said no to the gift or acted disappointed. So you are implicitly compelled to not only receive the gift, but to make use of the gift because otherwise you feel guilty in a consumer culture. Sure. And I think especially as young children, that is the case because, I mean, I remember and I still have her and I love her. I received when I was six years old an American Girl doll, Felicity, and my brother would receive Legos. It wasn't because of gender stereotypes per se, because obviously I wanted that American Girl doll and my brother wanted Legos. Nevertheless, it's that ingrained norm that this is what girls want and this is what guys want. Earlier, you used the word generosity or describe gift-giving behavior as generous. And I find it really fascinating to think about the mutuality of gift-giving. Often, we don't give gifts without receiving one because there is that implication that it's polite to do so. And I think that gives 
gives us the wrong idea about gifts. And personally, I won't spoil these because maybe these people are listening, but I've gotten gifts for people in my life that I don't think expected those gifts and therefore might not have gotten a gift for me. And I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal, but I think that feels great when you know you're giving something to someone because they will enjoy it or get great use out of it and because it shows an aspect of their character that resonated with you, that I know that person well and can say, I'm really confident you'll enjoy this without feeling the need to get a gift in return. And at the time of this podcast being published, I may have already given that person that gift and I can anticipate in those cases those individuals feeling a need to give me something in return. But I think that warps our conception of what it is to be generous, because I do truly believe it is greater to give than to receive. It shows observation. It shows generosity, as you said earlier. And I think those things are lessened or dampened to some degree when we feel pressured to make sure it is on some level an exchange or a trade, which is not quite the same thing, although can be equally positive. I just think there can be subtle values of necessity that you need to give a gift. And I think that changes the nature of gifts. I so agree. I think the most memorable gifts that I've given people have not been Christmas gifts or gifts that revolve around the holidays. I feel like I get more out of giving someone something that they'll really like and that they'll enjoy than the person I'm giving it to in some ways. Even though I know that by giving them whatever gift that I've picked out for them that they will enjoy it, but at the same time, I'm not in their head but it feels so good for me to give them that thing that I think they'll enjoy so much. And actually, there have been studies about happiness that the real facilitator of happiness is giving. Like if you are having a terrible day, give someone a compliment and it'll make you feel good because you're making someone else feel good. And so many times I've only gotten Christmas gifts for people because I felt obligated to. And it just doesn't feel the same way as if I'm in a circumstance, I'm in this special place that is so special to me, and I see something that reminds me of that person, and I want to share that with them. And that's so much more meaningful to me than, oh, because it's Christmas, this is a time that we give presents to people. And I say presents rather than gifts, because I think that's different in a way. And I remember, upon starting to work at my first job, how proud I felt that I could finally afford to buy my own gifts for the people in my family and for my friends because previously my mother and father had helped me in that department, and it didn't really feel as though I were giving something, but rather transporting a gift from my parents to those who were receiving it. And I think that's a strange feeling that as children, perhaps some people, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, don't feel as though they can participate equally in the gift-giving spirit because they can't afford to buy their own gifts, and I think less and less feel encouraged to make gifts which I would contend are just as good and often do, as sentimental as it may sound, come from the heart. Oh, I so agree. I think even now I try to make gifts rather than buy them. I mean, of course, there'll be certain circumstances where I can't make jewelry, so I'm going to buy someone some jewelry. I love pressing flowers, so I'll press flowers for people. I think there's some kind of old-fashioned maybe acts like letters or pressing flowers or things like that that I think have gained sentimentality in a way because they're just not done as much anymore. But it's interesting that you're talking about giving gifts as a child, I think. Now I feel really self-entitled in some ways. I don't think I even did it. I don't think I even bothered giving gifts when I was little for Christmas and that kind of thing, for birthdays, absolutely. But I think it was just kind of like, I obviously am not going to be paying for it myself. 
I mean, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about this, but maybe my parents were like, obviously, if Caroline buys a gift for someone, it's not going to be Caroline buying that gift. So what's the point? And another principle that I wish people practiced more often is the idea that giving experiences is better than giving gifts because you can share experiences and experiences can lead to memories, whereas gifts might be just a tangible object in which no meaning might be imbued, or, of course, a lot of meaning could be imbued. But for experiences, for example, taking someone to see a great movie that they've never heard of or surprising them with something that they didn't expect can be just as impactful and, I think, rewarding because experiences can take a lot of planning, whereas a gift really requires that you sign a check or swipe a card or pass along bills in exchange for that object. And so I would encourage people to think about giving experiences, especially because if you cannot afford to buy a gift, you can definitely afford to plan an experience. What do you think about that? I agree. And I think that's a really valuable and unfortunately non-conventional way of gift giving. I'd also point to ways of helping out the local economy rather than buying from these mega stores like Walmart or Macy's. Or Amazon. Or Amazon. You're so right. I think those huge corporations are taking away from local endeavors. So one tradition in my family when we have Christmas down in North Carolina in this small 16,000 person town is we do a secret Santa, but we have to buy locally. We have to go around to local stores and support them. There's a local sports shop or a local art gallery and we have to buy stuff from them. And I know that at the very least, we're helping those people even through consumerism. But still, I think that's a really valuable way of contributing to the season of consumerism and participating in it, but still doing it with some dignity in a way. I agree. And this idea of locality that you've brought up isn't only important on the consumer side, but on a family or friend level, we've pointed out a lot of negatives or discouraging aspects about consumerism. But if it does ultimately get the right people in the same room to spend some time with one another and hopefully do more and talk about more than simply the exchange of gifts, that can be a really positive thing. And for some people, it might be their only excuse to see family members and it might be their only comfortable way to re-engage with people that perhaps they haven't seen in a year or don't see that frequently. And so I don't think it's a completely negative thing. And I hope we have not come across that way because I feel that there is a side to gift giving that is symbolic and we should appreciate that. Although I recognize there can be a consumerist or capitalist agenda behind that, which does seem at times a bit more sinister. But Getting people together and, as I said earlier, sharing experiences or planning experiences can be a part of gift giving that is something for which we can be grateful despite our discontent with Black Friday stampedes and similar events. But I also feel that this is the time of year that because it is so consumerist and capitalist in so many ways and it's just at the forefront that it really allows people to reflect on the kind of society that we live in, which maybe this is the hyperbolic, exaggerated version of what we live year-round. And in some ways, that's really valuable. And people really do talk about this subject a lot. I mean, we're definitely not original in it. And I think that's valuable to highlight that. Absolutely. So as we close the episode, are there last thoughts or, as always, questions and things you would like the audience to consider? 
just be mindful of where you're spending. And I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal by any means, but I think championing local businesses is a really fruitful and rewarding way to participate in the holiday season and to not only give someone a gift that they'll enjoy, but also to help out that local business in that way where these large corporations are really taking away from a lot of their business. And I think it's important to stimulate the economy in local communities. So just maybe keep that in mind when you're buying gifts this holiday season. I agree. And as I said earlier, I hope people consider the value of experiences in contrast to or perhaps opposition to tangible gifts, although that's not to say they should exclude them entirely, because I don't think a radical response is necessarily the way to correct some of the problems that Caroline and I have pointed out, although we also acknowledge that there is complexity in gray area, which I hope we have highlighted in this conversation. And we'd also like to say, as this episode goes out around the holidays, that we wish everyone listening a happy holiday season. We hope it is fruitful and filled with cheer and warm conversations and interactions and loving and affectionate interactions. We hope you are happy and at peace and with the right people and the right thoughts in this concluding time of year. Truly, although we say it in every episode, thank you for listening, for letting us be a part of, in this case, your holiday season, or in general, your commutes, your runs, your podcast listening experiences. We really appreciate it. It's truly amazing to us that we can be in your lives in this way, and we hope you keep listening as the new year comes around, and we're really looking forward to 2016 and to see what new conversations we'll have and ideas we'll share. Definitely. I'm very excited for a lot of the things we have in the pipeline and some of the topics we have planned. And as with every conversation and episode we release, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have thoughts, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter and Facebook. Where you can like our page and you'll see new episodes as they are posted. And you can also email us, strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing, reviewing, and perhaps sharing it with a friend. It helps our audience expand and hopefully our conversation as well, which we thoroughly appreciate. And as always, thank you very much for listening in the 2015 year. We will see you shortly. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you in 2016.